Good morning, Victory. Hey, here in our Dear Church series, we're hearing from men who are biological fathers, spiritual fathers, and long-term pastors who love Jesus and his church. And they're coming to share from the depths of what God has deposited in their lives over the years to essentially share their life letter with us. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul says that we have not many fathers. You know, there's just something about the presence of a father that causes children to rise up. And we have a really special father with us here today. You may recognize his resume. He is an author, he's a mentor, he's pastored for over 30 years. He's traveled and shared at churches, leadership conferences and roundtables literally around the world. He's a biological father, a grandfather, but he's also a spiritual father to many and most certainly, he's my spiritual father. He founded America's most multicultural church with over 140 nationalities, 17,000 members, three campuses. His heart is to build families, reconcile cultures, transform communities, and impact nations with the gospel of Jesus. And he, alongside his wife, is the reason you're even able to be a part of Victory Church and why I stand before you as your senior pastor. Because of his faithfulness, Victory is what it is today. So please give a warm welcome to our founding pastor, Dennis Rouse. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Well, first of all, let me just say thank you for that warm welcome, and let me just welcome everybody from Midtown and also our Hamilton Mill campus, and also wanna say a special congratulations to Pastor Mo and Kendra on their brand new baby boy who's now a month old. We're excited about that. I don't know if y'all seen his baby online, looks like a model. Just came out, right, like a model on magazines, and so uh, just a God thing, amen? We also have people from all over the world. We have people from Colombia today, South Korea, Nigeria, all over the world. So let's welcome our whole world as they join us live uh, on campus. All right, so the, the context of this series is Dear Church, and the, and, the, and the meaning behind it is letting the spiritual fathers speak into the church. And I just think it's an ingenious idea that Pastor Johnson and Summer came up with, and they are bringing in all their, the, the guys that have influenced their life. Next week, you're gonna hear uh, Bishop James Meeks, who is from Chicago, Illinois. He's one of the great churches in Chicago, Illinois. He was also a state senator, United States senator, for 10 years. So he was a pastor and a senator during the Obama era. So he has a lot of experience you do not wanna miss next weekend. You make sure that you're here. But this weekend, I get to talk to you. And I, and I get to share with you, and you know how that goes, right? And, and, and I get to share with you something that's deep in my heart, something that's uh, stirring in my heart. And I'm gonna talk to you about something that's very controversial. It's, uh, I have a tendency to do that, but it's just because I believe with all my heart that there's such a deception right now going on in America when it comes to the subject of justice, when it comes to the subject of justice. So I'm gonna talk to you about the difference between social justice and biblical justice. And I know some of you are thinking, what, what, what do you mean, the difference? There is a difference. And I'm gonna share that with you so that, and this is specifically aimed at the under 30 crowd. How many of you are under 30? Let me see your hands, you're under 30, all right. You're gonna have the hardest time with this message. <laughs> the people my age are gonna love this message, people your age are going, ah! 
I don't know if I agree with that, but keep an open heart because I'm gonna share with you from the scriptures. I'm not gonna just share my emotions or my feelings or you know, some thought that I just came up with out of the blue. This is something that's deep inside of me. It's deep inside the core of this church. It's one of the reasons why we are a multicultural church and why we have to navigate very big subjects like the justice issue. So let me pray. I'm gonna need some prayer from you because this is, a, this is kind of a, a dicey message. It's a message that has a lot of stuff in it that makes you rethink life. And there's nothing more challenging than saying, I know this, I know this. Oh, I don't know this. And here's what I'll say about social justice. Social justice today, what social justice means today is not what it meant 40 years ago. And I'm gonna explain that to you and where, where the world has taken it and why there's a difference between the two. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. Over the next few moments together, we're just gonna invite you, Holy Spirit, to open up our eyes of understanding and our hearts to receive this engrafted truth, the truth of your word that transforms us into the seed of the earth that you called us to be for the message of Christ. And I pray that no matter where we are in our journey and where we are in our thinking, that we're open, that we be open to hearing a truth that could set us free. And so we invite you now to come and bring this truth to us in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. All right, so today is July the 4th, and I didn't know that people would actually come to church on July the 4th, but you are here. In fact, give yourself a round of applause because you are in the building. And I, and I see the progression. I've seen the progression since we finally you know, started slowly taking some of the mandates, the mask mandates, different things like that, and off, and people started coming back to church, and it, we're slowly coming back. For those of you that are new to the church, before COVID, this, this service right here, you couldn't fit the people in the building. We had more people in here and the overflow rooms and everywhere else, and that's coming back. Come on, come on back to the church. Come on back. We invite you to come back. But those of you that are still sitting at home, we can still minister to you until you feel comfortable, but it's about time to feel comfortable. <laughs> Amen. So I, 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 I saw a recent survey where they asked young people under 30, what is July the 4th about? What is that about? And do you know what the number one answer was? You'd, you'd be surprised. The number one answer of the under 30 crowd was July the 4th is when Christopher Columbus discovered <laughs> America. Number one answer. Now, I know you, you're more educated than that, but that is not July the 4th, 1776. What's, what July 4th is about is the establishment of a nation, the United States of America. It's where we became an independent nation of 13 colonies that, that formed together to make what we call the United States of America, breaking away from the British Empire that at the time was controlling a lot of the world establishing colonies everywhere, and this was one of those colonies, and we became independent from Britain. We fought the war, we won the war, and we became a nation, and the birthing of the nation, and in the, anytime you see a birthing of a nation, there's always a struggle, there's always turmoil, there's always greatness, and then there's always sorrow, and there's always good, and there's always bad that comes with the forming of any nation that forms. And, and the United States has now been a nation, a, an official nation, for 245 years. Now, when you study empires and you study the, the history of empires, the British Empire, the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, all these empires, country, countries that literally control the world, 
great countries that, that had lots of power, their, their average life is about 240 years. And then eventually they fall. And we are now in a season in our nation where we're struggling not to fall. We're struggling not to fall, but there is a, a, a school of thought that is emerging in America that, that kind of came on the heels of the last election that, that's, that, that's talked about this concept of make America great again, where a lot of people, particularly young people, think America is not so great. It's not really a great place. In fact, there's a lot of bad things that have happened in America and a lot of history in America that's not good, which I'm gonna acknowledge in just a moment. But at the same time, what, what I believe, and I hope you believe this too, that it's a privilege, and I'm gonna say this unabashedly and unashamedly, it is a privilege to live in the United States of America. It is a privilege to live here. <laughs> and all of you that have come from other countries, why did you come here? Because you saw it as the land of opportunity. You saw it as an opportunity that maybe you did not have in the country that you came from. Doesn't mean your country was evil or bad. It just means you saw it as an opportunity. And America is known as the land of opportunity. But at the same time, we recognize that there's a lot of trouble in this country right now. So I thought I'd go back in history. I'm a history buff. I love history. And the reason I love history is because it helps me anticipate what's coming in the future. It helps me navigate the coming struggles that we're about to go through because you know, you've heard this old adage, what comes around goes around. There's nothing new under the sun. Eventually, everything comes back. In fact, the styles that were in style maybe 40 years ago are coming back again. If you had bell bottoms and flippy, you know, flowery shirts, just hold on to them. They'll come back. <laughs> you'll look back, those of you that are young, you'll look back at this age of your life and you'll go, I look like that, I dress like that, I wore those clothes, I can't believe it, I tatted, tatted my whole body. Boy, what was I thinking back then? But that's just the reality of, of going through process. Now, in the founding of our nation, when our nation was founded, we had some founding fathers, called fathers, that made statements, public statements about our nation. I'm just gonna read a couple of them just so you hear what they said. John Adams, who was the third president of the United States, says, our constitution was made for moral and religious people it is wholly inadequate for the government of any others. George Washington said, it is impossible to rightly govern without the Bible, the first president of the United States. James Madison said, we have staked the future of our nation upon the capacity of each and all to govern, control, and sustain ourselves according to the 10 commandments of God. So in the founding of our country, there were about 20,000 Puritans that came over, we call them pilgrims, that came over and began to establish the freedom of religion to try to break away from the tyranny of the religion of Britain at the time, which was run similar to the Catholic religion that controlled the state, controlled the, the empire of the British Empire, and basically controlled the state. Thus, we see the separation of church and state that, was, that initially was founded out of that. The Puritans came over to establish this new concept of freedom of religion, freedom of thought, freedom of belief, and to follow God biblically, not so much what the state says. And out of that came a lot of these leaders. A lot of these guys came from that time. And they were trying to found a nation that would be under God, one nation under God, you know, with all liberty and justice for all. And then it says here in Deuteronomy, and this was, the, this was this founding scripture that many of our founding leaders used 
where God spoke to Israel, spoke to, through Moses to Israel about the founding of Israel. It's the same scripture they used to found America in Deuteronomy 4 in verse 5. It says, look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations just as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may obey them in the land that you're about to enter in and occupy. Obey them completely and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear of these decrees, they will exclaim, how wise and how prudent are the people of this great nation. For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as this body of instructions that I'm giving you today? But watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out. out. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live and be sure to pass them on to your children and to your grandchildren. God was telling Moses and the leaders of Israel as you're about to establish yourself as a nation, as you're about to come into this place of the promises of God and I'm gonna put my hand on you. He said, people are gonna look at you and they're gonna be astonished at the wisdom that you have because you're following the precepts of God's word, you're following the commandments of God, you're living in a righteous lifestyle. But he says, don't forget as you grow older to pass this on to your children and then to your grandchildren or else the people will eventually start to fall away. They will eventually start to leave the foundations of what this nation was about. Now, I think it doesn't take any genius to figure out that over 245 years of this nation, one of the things that has started to happen, and especially over the last 40 to 60 years, there's been a complete departure of of an emerging generation from Christianity, from the the statutes of the word, from the truths of the word, from the concepts of righteousness, to a place where now the new religion, the new religion of young America is not Christianity, it's not any other formulated religion, it is the religion of social justice. Social justice. And I'm gonna define that for you in a minute, but it has replaced Christianity, and so therefore, we are now... On the, on the end result of a generation that started in the 60s and progressed up to 60 years until the 2021, where a whole generation has grown up without God. And because of that, now you're starting to see the change of laws, the change of structure, the systematic rebuilding of America in terms of social justice, and what's happening is a slow deception is starting to seep into the concept of social justice that most young people are not aware of. They're not aware of, and they're buying into it. So, as I'm reading through the Bible, and the, the, you know, the, whole, the whole big idea, I'm studying this whole concept of social justice. I came upon this, uh, uh, this quote that I was reading a little article about from the founder of Dubai, the, one of the sheiks that lead, led, led Dubai. Here's what he said. He was asked about the future of his country, and he replied, now check this out, he says, my grandfather rode a camel, my father rode a camel, I ride a Mercedes, my son rides a Land Rover, and my grandson is gonna ride a Land Rover, but my great-grandson is gonna have a ride a camel again. Why is that, he was asked, and his reply was, hard times create strong men, strong men create easy times, Easy times create weak men. Weak men create difficult times. 
Many will not understand it, but you have to raise warriors, not parasites. And add to that the historical reality that all great empires, the Persians, the Trojans, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, in latter years, the British, all rose and perished within 240 years. They were not conquered by external enemies. They rotted from within. We are living in that era right now. Judges 2.10 says, he talks about what, what will happen. He says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. All right, so as Jesus is being asked this question about what's it gonna look like as time draws to the end, as time draws closer to the end, his reply is this in Matthew chapter 24. And please bear with me because it's a lot of scripture, but I want you to see it. Jesus answered, and the first sentence is, starts to, to the whole process. All that, at that time, deception, everybody say deception, will run rampant. So beware that you're not fooled. Beware that you're not fooled. For many will appear on the scene claiming my authority or saying about themselves, I am the anointed one, and they will lead many astray. And I'm talking not just about preachers, I'm talking about politicians, media moguls, social media influencers, and they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and revolutions on every side with more rumors of wars to come. Don't panic or give in to your fears for the breaking apart of the world system is destined to happen. But it won't yet be the end. It will be still unfolding. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdoms. And there will be, and by the way, the kingdoms of this world will go to war against the kingdom of God. And there will be terrible earthquakes, horrible epidemics, which we just went through with COVID-19, famines in place after place. This is how the birth pains of the new age will begin. You can expect to be persecuted, now this is good news, even killed, for you will be hated by all the nations because of your love for me. Then many will stop following me and fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another, and many lying prophets will arise, deceiving multitudes and leading them away from the path of truth. There will be such an increase of the sin of lawlessness. Anybody seen that lately? How, how many of you have been down to Buckhead lately? There'll be such an increase of the sin of lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion for God and others will grow cold. But hold your hope firmly to the end and you will experience life and deliverance. Yet through it all, the good news of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with the demonstration of the reality of God, and after that, the end of the age will arrive. Now, here's the truth about what's happening right now in the world. In America, this is gonna shock you, but in America, Christianity is declining. It's declining at a rapid pace. It used to be probably the greatest Christian propagator of the, of, of the word of any nation in the world. We, we, we've sent more missionaries into the field preaching the gospel all over the world than any nation in the history of the world. Many people have asked, why did God bless America? Because it had so many people preaching the gospel of the good news. But then we also have a stain in America. And the stain is what confuses people and we're trying to rectify that stain and we're trying to use the, the societal pressures to correct the wrongs that were done, and that stain is slavery. Slavery was the 
at the very foundation. Of the, 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 the hard thing to comprehend is the very founders of the Constitution, the founders, the writers of the De- Declaration of Independence and so forth, most of them were slave owners. George Washington owned slaves. James Madison owned slaves. Thomas Jefferson, who a lot of people quote today about the separation of church and state, was a true abolitionist, yet owned 600 slaves and had some slaves that he had children with and fathered uh, children from. So many of these people were trying trying to see how do we change society at the same time we have slavery as an institution. It's institutionalized into the culture of the foundation of America, it became the stain of America, and, and, and it would create a problem in America for many, many years until 100 years later we would fight this war called the Civil War to abolish slavery and the emancipation of the African American community. This church right now, the year, we're calling it the year of emancipating greatness. The, the idea behind emancipation was to free the black slaves, bring them into a place of equality so that they could then also live like American citizens. The problem was that slavery was still in the mindset of Americans, especially in the South, that didn't agree with that thought. And there were many people both, both on, on both sides, the white and the black side, that still didn't understand how to emancipate their freedom. So even though there was an emancipation of slavery in the, during the Abraham Lincoln's era, it didn't change the fact that still there were many whites that felt superior to blacks and many blacks that felt inferior to whites. And so as a result, we had a nation that went through a, a long period of time, still even to this day, 145 years later, of trying to rectify the, the stain and the wound of slavery and bring equality back to people. In the process, out of that came a movement called social justice. And social justice was a God movement. It was a good thing. In the 1960s, you had the Equal Rights Movement with Dr. Martin Luther King. You had a lot of different movements. But the problem is, is just because you have a movement does not necessarily change the heart of people. And so we are now in the throes of this movement. And there are, instead of bringing people together... Which, which is the goal, should be the goal of social justice, we are separating more. We're dividing more. And, and now, it's not uncommon for white people to feel that the, the, a large majority of black America hates them, sees them as an oppressor, sees them as evil, and wants to take all the stuff from them and give it to their own people. And it's not unusual for black people to feel like white people have been oppressing us, and they've been pushing us down, and there's institutionalized racism in the country. There's a critical race theory being taught in the public schools to, 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 to denounce the racism of America, all these kinds of things. And so you've got this big divide, and everybody knows when you read the Bible, a nation divided against itself, what, what's it say? Cannot stand. It cannot stand. So what is the role of the church, all right? So the role of the church is to understand how to discern this context of social justice versus biblical justice and not to ignore the history, not to ignore the racism, not to ignore the, 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 the problems that we've had in society, but how do we rectify it? So let me start you on this journey of social justice and, and biblical justice. Social justice is basically 
Writing the wrongs of inequality, initially it was writing the wrongs of inequality, racial inequality, gender inequality, and economic inequality. That was the goal originally of the social justice movement. But the word justice has been hijacked. And I'll explain it to you in just a minute, but let me just take you on a journey through the scriptures and why we are who we are and why we believe the way we believe from a scriptural standpoint about biblical justice. All right, so psalmist writes this in Psalm 89, verse 14. Here's what he said. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. So God says this very important statement. He says, the foundation of the throne of God is built on two pillars. Everybody say two pillars. Two pillars, righteousness and justice. Righteous, let's say it together. Righteousness and justice. Let's say it again. Righteousness and justice. Not justice without righteousness and not righteousness without justice. All right, so then Isaiah says it this way. Isaiah 28, another prophet of God, verse 16. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundational stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. I will test you with the measuring line of justice and the plumb line of righteousness. In other words, those two working, harmonizing together, righteousness and justice, is how you build a society that works. That's how you build a nation that works. That's how you build a society that works. The problem is that Satan has taken, the spirit of of the Antichrist has taken the subject of righteousness and the subject of justice and has pitted them against each other. He's made them fight against each other instead of working together. So you have two total political systems that are based on one pillar alone. You have the Republican Party primarily based on righteousness. You have the Democratic Party primarily based on justice, and they each think the other one is evil. They think the other one does not understand who God is. So people who are on the righteousness side feed themselves with theories like that, watch Fox News day in and day out, listen to every pundit that they can about what's wrong with this country with these people that are out for social justice, and then the people that are on the justice side watch CNN, MSNBC, feed themselves in all kinds of theories of why the righteous people are evil. Then they had Donald Trump to jump on that bandwagon, and he's got to be of the devil, and then they go on and on about that. And so they pit against each other, so you've got righteousness and justice fighting with each other instead of working together. Working together. All right, so what is righteousness? Now, this is where it gets a little dicey, and this is where you under 30 crowd, hang on. Because you haven't necessarily been raised in an era of righteousness. Righteousness is living right, conforming to a moral code of conduct prescribed by God's word. Listen to me carefully, uh, under 30. Not prescribed by how you feel. Not prescribed by how you feel. God's word is not based on your feelings. God's word is sure, it's true, it's a foundation you can build your life on, it never changes. It was written thousands of years ago and it's still true today, and it says once you know the truth of God's word, it will set you free. But righteousness is living right. And unfortunately, what's happened in the justice side is we've ignored the righteousness side. 
So we've merged this context of justice without righteousness. And righteousness deals with things like sexual orientation, marriage, abortion, character, all those kind of things that the under 30 crowd has been deceived about concerning God's word and has bought into a lie that because society has shifted, God's word has changed. God's word does not change. It has not changed. Now, what we don't wanna do, and this is where we've gotten in trouble in the church, is in preaching righteousness, sometimes we come across as self-righteous. Self-righteous means I've got it all together and you are the one that needs to get corrected. You're the one that's wrong. And so we don't, a lot of times, know the language of how to talk to this emerging generation that's not living righteous in a way that's non-judgmental, that's still loving, that's still caring, but wants to guide them into the truth instead of agree with the error. Does that make sense? So that's the, that's, that's the trick of Christianity today, is how do I have a conversation with my friends about something like sexual orientation without getting into this heated discussion and them thinking that I'm judging them? Do I care about the homosexual community? Do I care about all these transgender movement? Do I care about all those things? Do I really care about people in that world or do I just decide they're just a bunch of heathen, they're going to hell and I don't care about them? All right? Now, the second one is justice. Justice is doing right to correct the injustices of society, defending the poor and the marginalized. Deals with things like equal rights, helping the poor, treating everyone, everybody say everyone, including immigrants that are coming into our country illegally, treating them with value. Doesn't mean we agree with breaking the law. It just means that they're still valuable. They're human. They're people. I value them. <laughs> now, this, this rubs sometimes righteous people the wrong way. They get a little upset with that kind of statement. It doesn't mean we, we want everybody to break the law. It just means that whoever is in this country, I need to value them as a person. I need to value them as a human instead of just judge them. Does that make sense? Because until you've walked in their shoes and learned what they've had to go through to even get into this country and lived in the life that they had to live, it's very easy to sit back with Fox News on in your lazy boy and judge all this stuff that's going on in this country. Are you following me? At the same time, it's also very easy for people who've done things that are not righteous to sit back and judge people who are living righteous as judgmental. So, the question then becomes, what is the difference? All right, social justice, this is defined by the authors of social justice. It's a deconstructing of traditional systems and structures deemed to be oppressive and redistributing power and resources from oppressors to their victims in the pursuit of equality of outcome. That's the definition of the authors of the social justice movement is a redistribution of power and resources from oppressors to their victims in the pursuit of equality of outcome. Now, I wish I had time to talk more about that. I don't have time to go into that deeply, but I would highly recommend that if you wanna really understand the social justice movement, read the story 
and the history and the ideology of Karl Marx. Just read it. Go and read it and study it. And you will find historically, over 100 years ago, Karl Marx came up with the idea that capitalism, as we know it in America, cannot work in a nation. It cannot work because eventually it will create an oppressor and an oppressee. It'll create somebody who's ruling over the poor, rich ruling over the poor, borrower, servant to the lender. By the way, can I just tell you, the Bible actually says that. It says the rich will rule over the poor and the borrower will be servant to the lender. The problem with it is it says the only way for a society to function is there has to be equity of outcome. There has to, everybody has to have the same outcome. Not the same opportunity, the same outcome. The problem with that is biblically that's not scriptural. And why do I say that? All right, let's just, let's just take a, a parable. Some of you know the parable of the, uh, the talents, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter, in fact, go, go ahead and turn over there with me. I want you to see this because it's important for you to see this. Matthew chapter 25, and I'm gonna, for the sake of time, I'm just gonna fast forward through some of it. Basically, what Jesus says, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And, and then he goes, a man goes on a long trip. He's talking about, he's, he's referring to God, really. He called together his servants and he entrusted them with money. To one, he gave five talents. To one, he gave two talents. And to one, he gave one talent. And he said, I want you to take this, these talents I've given you and I want you to go and use them and make money. I want you to go multiply your resources. And then he goes away on this trip and he comes back. We all know this story if you've ever read the Bible. The person with the five talents, he goes to him first. He says, what have you done with the five talents I gave you? And he said, well, I've taken these five and I've multiplied them to five more. I have now 10 talents. And the Lord says to him, well done. Everybody say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. He says, now because you've been faithful over a little, you can be trusted with more, enter in and enjoy the fruits of the kingdom. Then he goes to the person with the two talent. And he says to the person with the two talent, he said, what have you done with the two talent? And I want you to notice one thing that the person with the two talent doesn't say. Well, what about the guy that's got five talents? <laughs> How come you gave him five and you only gave me two? That's where Paul was trying to illustrate. Whatever God gives you, whatever God gives you, quit complaining to God about what he didn't give you. Okay. Quit complaining. He didn't say that. He said, I took the two that I had. I didn't say, well, I'll take from the five and give to the two. I took the two and I multiplied it and I made two more. And, and the Lord says, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, you can be trusted with much, enter in and enjoy the fruits of the kingdom, all right? Then he goes to the talent, the one talent guy. And the one talent guy doesn't have any fruit. He didn't bear any fruit. And, and so the Lord asked him, what happened here? And I'm just gonna read this. He says, then the servant, the one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man. This is how he saw God. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you poor person who's been victimized by society. <laughs> he says, you, what did he say? You wicked 
and lazy servant. Now, this is not a black and white issue. This is just a stewardship issue. This is not an issue about race or culture or anything like this. This is just about people, whether they're going to work or use their talent or not talent. If you knew I'd harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, now this is where it really attacks the concept of today's modern social justice movement. Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. Oh, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useful servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's what the social justice movement is doing today. It's teaching that there's an oppressor and an oppressee, a victim and a person who's victimized them, and it goes all the way back to the days of slavery, and there's some real truth to the inequality of America. I'm not saying there's not truth to that, and there are people that have been victimized. But what Jesus is trying to say in this, which is completely transformative in our thinking is no matter what you have been given, no matter how little or how much, you cannot live your life with a victim mentality. You cannot live it with that. Now, there's a whole element of society that makes a living on making you a victim. They makes a whole political structure on making you a victim so that the government is now your God instead of God being your God. So, we just went through it with COVID. We just went through it with COVID. When suddenly COVID, people were out of work and so on and so forth, so we, we voted in the Congress to give everybody these stimulus checks. If you made $150,000 or less as a couple, you got stimulus checks. If you made $75,000 or less as an individual, you got stimulus checks. I don't wanna ask you how many raised your hand that got stimulus checks, but. <laughs> I noticed our tithes and offerings went up quite a bit during the stimulus era. <laughs> and unemployment was paying people an additional $600 on top of the other money they were getting from unemployment, so they were making more money than they ever made in their life by sitting at home. That's why you have so many companies that can't even find people to work because for a near, nearly a year and a half, people have been just not working collecting government checks. My kids, my, my, my daughter, my son, they don't make $150,000. They were getting stimulus checks. Then they got a se second round of them. And now they're about to get a third round of them. And I said, you don't need the money. <laughs> they're passing out checks like candy to, ch to kids and giving them money as if government is now the source of your life. And the more you train people that government is the source of your life, the more you train them that they're victimized by anything that hinders that. Y'all all right out there? Now, those of you that got the checks, you like the checks. I told my daughter, you need to give that back. I'm not giving that back. Hey, they're stupid enough to give it to me. I'm going to take it. I said, I'm paying for that check right here in my taxes. And not only am I paying it, your grandchildren are going to bear the fruit of that. Your grandchildren and your, your great-grandchildren are gonna have to live in a world that's completely immersed in total debt that can never be paid back because we're just handing out money like there's nothing. Why? Because you're a victim. You're a victim of COVID. 
You're a victim of an unfair society. You're a victim of the race that you are. You're a victim of this, you're a victim of that. And what social justice says is we gotta correct this. We don't need it. We don't need an equal opportunity, we need equity of outcome. And that is at the very, uh, the very core of Marxism. Marxism says that capitalism cannot work, will not work, and ultimately it will produce this kind of revolution, this social revolution that we're currently going through right now that uproots all the norms of, of structure and the under 30 crowd is the target. You're the target. You're the ones we're going because you're easy to deceive. We've been teaching this to you in public schools. We've been teaching this to you in the universities. We've been teaching this through you social media. We've been teaching. We've so indoctrinated you that you don't know any other way of thinking. And people my age are looking at like, oh my God, what are you thinking? Now you take back the, you go back and you look at the history of America. You'll see that capitalism is what this nation became famous for. The wealthiest people of the world came out of America. In fact, back in the days when capitalism was at its height, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, people like Rockefeller and Carnegie and those guys rose up. They became the wealthiest people in the history of the world. Rockefeller, at his death, was worth over $440 billion. We, we, we celebrate Tesla and, and, and I mean, uh, uh, founder of Tesla, Elon Musk, we celebrate the guy, Jeff Bezos, they're worth about 100 billion or so. He was worth four times what those guys were. J.P. Morgan was so wealthy that the government had to come to him for a loan <laughs> when they couldn't pay their bills. Y'all all right out there? Every one of those people, listen to me, were abolitionists. They, they were all fighting to get slavery and fighting to get people elected to defeat slavery. They hated the inequality, but they also had no rules over them so they could make as much money as they wanted, which created things like automobiles, electricity, airplanes, all those things that eventually led to the modern world that we live in now. The, end of the, the, the concept of capitalism creates entrepreneurship and invention. It, create, it takes the lid off of your life. The concept of Marxism puts the lid on your life, shuts you down from any possibility of really being successful, gives you no hope for really making it in life, and makes you all just getting the same thing. All right, now, as we go through this concept, what do we do about this, all right? I don't have time to go too much to, but let me just, three, three action steps. Number one, you have to protect yourself from deception. Colossians says it this way in chapter two, verse eight. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. All right, now this is where I'm gonna rock your world a little bit. And especially if you're under 30. How many of you have heard of Black Lives Matter? Black Lives Matter. Now, the concept of Black Lives Matter, the concept Black Lives Matter, I believe 100%. I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. And, and when it first was spoken, and I was trying to explain it to, to our church because there were a lot of white people, well, all lives matter. Blue lives matter. You know, I understand the reason why that statement was made because what basically blacks are saying is in America, when we talk about make America great again, it doesn't feel like our lives matter as much as it does to white people. 
And so we wanna just make sure that you understand we're here. We live in this nation and we want to matter too, not matter more, but matter too. So I understand that. I understand that concept and I'm all in and I will do everything in my life and that's why this church is what it is. That's why we're so multicultural. That's why we, we, we emphasize equality, reconciliation, all those kinds of things because we value every color, every culture from every nation. The same, equality of opportunity. But when you start to dive into the Black Lives Matter movement, here's the deception. The deception is the founders of the Black Lives Matter, a couple of them are announced Marxists. They, they say they're Marxist in their belief system. And they wrote a manifesto. And I'm gonna read some of it to you. I'm gonna read it to you. And let me give you the real, the real agenda of the Black Lives Matter people and what they're about. All right, here's what it says. This is Black Lives Matter agenda. It says, we intentionally build and nurture a beloved community that is bonded together. This is just part of it. I don't have time to read all of it. Through a beautiful struggle that is restorative, not depleting. We are unapologetically black in our positioning, affirming that black lives matter. We need to not qualify our position to love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves. It's a prerequisite for wanting the same for others. I'm cool. We're reading that. I'm, I'm really cool with that. We see ourselves as part of the global black family, and we are aware of the different ways we are impacted or privileged as black people who exist in different parts of the world. We are guided by the fact that all black lives matter regardless of actual and perceived sexual identity, gender identity, here's where it starts to get off. Gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, immigration status or location. So now we're gonna put everybody in a pot. We're gonna put not just black people, but we're gonna put people who are transgender, people who have different sexual identities, people who are immigrants that have been victimized. We're gonna put all this intersectionality of victims in a pot and we're gonna put them together. We, we build a space that affirms black women. I'm sorry, let me back up. Uh, we make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgendered privileged and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. We build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogyny, and environments in which men are centered. We practice empathy, we engage comrades with the intent to learn about and connect their context. We make our spaces family friendly and enable parents to fully participate with their children. We dismantle the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts so that they can mother in private even as they participate in public justice work. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family, that's the father and the mother, structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. We foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do this with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless he or she discloses otherwise. We cultivate an intergenerational and communal free network free from ageism. We believe that all people, regardless of age, show up with the capacity to lead and learn. We embody the practice of justice, liberation, and peace in our engagement with one another. It does not take a genius to figure out that the Black Lives Matter movement is not about blacks. Are y'all all right out there? The Black Lives Matter 
movement is about the transgender movement and breaking apart the patriarchal family of a mother and a father raising their children and so on and so forth. And it's all about supporting this whole lot because the people that, that started it were, are, are, are not heterosexual. And so they're, they're, they're talking from their personal feelings and experiences and what they've experienced in, in, in society and life itself. And it resonates with an under 30 crowd that has bought into this whole transgender sexual identity uh, conflict that we're currently finding. Now what happens is we are now in a generation, and this is where it's, it's not about race anymore, it's all about your sexual identity. Now there's like 50 something different sexual identities uh, you, one day you're pansexual, then you're heterosexual, then you're homosexual, then you're bisexual, then you're transsexual, then you're, you're you know, you, you, each day it depends on how you feel about your sexuality. And so what it's basically saying is it's an affront to God's creation. It's saying God doesn't know what he's talking about when he created a man and a woman if, if I'm a woman, but I feel like a man, God doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm a man. So I'm gonna take it upon myself to change my sex to be what I feel like instead of what God says I am. Once you start going down that path of how you feel, there is a never-ending path of destruction for your life. So what, what is to prohibit... I mean, let's just think, let's, let's, let's just take this all the way out. Let's just reason this all the way out. What if you are a pedophile and you believe you were created to have sexual attraction towards children? I was created this. I feel this way. This is how I feel. And so therefore, it must be okay. And so I'm gonna create a whole society, which they're doing in California, to legalize pedophilia and make it a legal thing because... I feel this way, so it has to be a celebrated thing by God. Never in our lifetime, my generation's lifetime, did we think we would be here, where we wake up in the morning and we are confused about who we are. Let me tell you who you are. You are a child of God. And a child of God, wait a minute. Now, I'm not, speaking this, I'm not speaking this from a self-righteous standpoint. I'm speaking this from a firmly rooted biblical perspective. God created a man and a woman. He didn't create a woman to be a man or a woman or a man to be a woman. He never created you to be confused about your sexuality. He, he created you to come together as a husband and a wife to procreate and create children. You cannot procreate without both. You cannot. And as soon as you start moving down that world, you are moving away from God's original purpose for humanity. Marriage and family is the very center and the fabric of what holds a society together. So that's why this whole social justice movement is trying to destroy that concept of the family. It's trying to destroy it, redefine it, and young people are just eating it up like it's no tomorrow. Because they feel this way, it must be okay. And because society affirms it, the news media affirms it, the, the, the movies that I watch affirm it, the social media presence affirms it, all my friends affirm it, everybody affirms it, then it must be okay. Let me give you a clue. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not biblical. God is not confused about who you are. He created you like he wanted to create you for a purpose, not to live out your life constantly confused about your identity. Did you hear what I just said? 
The social justice movement is about justice, look at this, without righteousness. It's about justice without righteousness. That's why God says, I build my throne on two pillars, justice and righteousness. The righteousness people need to understand the value of justice. The justice people need to understand the value of righteousness. Because the only way a society, a nation, a country, a people will ever survive is they have to build their life on the throne of righteousness and justice, not just one. But our tendency, again, is to lean towards one or the other. So therefore, you have to be clear. Protect yourself from deception. Second, live your life from a heart of reconciliation. The Bible says you are given, you no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view, though you once regarded Christ in this way, as we do no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, all that is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, as he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation is the first ministry for every follower of Jesus. If you wanna know what your ministry is, it starts with the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody's like, I'm called to be a prophet. I'm prophetess, I'm called to do this. I'm called to be a pastor. Let me ask you something. Are you reconciling people to God? Don't talk to me about what you're called to do you start reconciling people to God. And not only reconciling people to God, but you're reconciling people to each other. Your life is not about division, it's about reconciliation. It's not about spouting what's wrong with the world, it's spouting what's right with Christ. It's how to get your life right with Christ. Because if I can get somebody to, listen, if I can get somebody to Christ, all that stuff of confusion goes away. If I can get somebody to Christ, the reality of truth begins to set people free. July the 4th is about freedom. God wants you to understand that whom the Son sets free is free indeed, and it's the truth not the lies, it's not the deception, it's the truth that sets you free. So you're all about reconciling people, reconciling people to Christ, number one, and reconciling people to each other. So you never post on social media divisive things, you never spout off divisive things, you don't spend your life with this whole justice mindset of us against them. Your whole mindset is how can I bring people to Christ and then bring them together? So therefore, you understand, the government will never solve this problem. The government fuels, look, no, don't clap. The government fuels off division. It fuels the political parties, fuel off division. That's how people get elected. That's how we have people in power. That's why we are of another kingdom within a kingdom. We're not of this world. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. We're a nation within a nation. We are the people of God, called to be light and salt to a lost and dying world, not to blend in and accommodate all the social confusion that is going on right now. And then finally, number three, you've got to represent Christ through the way you value others. Therefore, if you've been any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from this love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, 
This is the power of the church, like-minded, having the same love, being one spirit, one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There is nowhere in the Bible, nowhere, where Jesus promotes victimization of society. Nowhere in the Bible that he promotes people thinking they're a victim or victimizing people. He says, whatever person you come across, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male, female, people that are of other sexual identities in their mind, people who don't live like you think or, or do like you, you still value them as much as Christ values them. <laughs> oh, y'all are clapping. But I don't know that you got that. <laughs> I, I'm gonna ask you a question. He said, well, you know, this critical race theory, this whole critical race theory says, basically this is the theory, that white supremacy is institutionalized in America and all white people are racist. You're, if you're white, you're a racist because you're white and, and you don't have any choice. You're a racist because of the history of, your, of, our, of our country and you don't even know it. You don't even know, you don't know you're a racist. <laughs> You're not woke yet. You haven't been woke. I got a message for the woke people. The woke people need to get woke. They need to get woke to the truth of the gospel because the truth of the gospel is what makes you awake. The great reformation, the great, you know what, you know what formed this country? The great awakening. It was called the Great Awakening under Jonathan Edwards, and then there was a second Great Awakening. I believe we need a third Great Awakening in our nation for people to be woke again. Woke, woke to what? Woke to deception, woke to racism, woke to frustration and anger and victimization. Is that the way you wanna live your whole life? Everybody's a racist, really? Everybody's a racist? Yes, there are people that are racist, but white people do not have the corner on racism. Black people are just as racist as white people. Asian people are just as racist as black people. Latino people are racist. There, there is no corner of racism. It's all over the world. Everybody thinks their race is superior. Everybody does. And we don't want to admit that, but everybody does. But because we've been victimized, we can't be racist. Oh, that's baloney. It is a different kind of racism. It is a different, but it's racism. And here's the reality. Jesus came to set us free from racism. Amen. Jesus came to set us free from division. Jesus came to bring people together. He says, I came to break down the wall of separation, to bring people who were far off and people who are near together as one, one people. When you're together as one, the place of power is the place of agreement, which means the place of losing power is the place of disagreement. If I'm married, if I wanna have power in my marriage, I gotta be in agreement. If I wanna lose the power of my marriage, I just constantly bicker and fight with, he, with this person. If I want reconciliation, I can't stand there on my side of social justice and demand. Everybody come over to my side and think like I think. I've gotta ask, how much do I really value people that are different than me? Do black people, do you black folk that are here, do you value white people? Do you really value them? Oh, 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 oh. 
Some of you are new to this church. You're not, you're not used to me. You're just not used to me. I, 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 I founded this church, but, but a lot of people don't know that. And so I can walk down the aisles now, and some people have come in since I've been gone, and they don't know who I am. And I've seen some of you black people. You just walk down the aisle, and I'm walking right through you, and I, hey, and you just diss me. You just diss me. You're a white person. And right behind us, some black people. Hey, bro, what's happening? What's going on? You don't even know that person. But they're your brother. Asian people, black people, Hispanic people, you all do it. You all do it. And part of the reason is because you've been raised in a society that trains you that you gotta stay within your group. You gotta stay in here. And everybody else is against you. And everybody's gonna, he's, they're, they're, they're keeping you down. Can I tell you something? When you become a Christian, there is nothing that can keep you down. There is nothing that can keep you down. Nothing! Quit relying on government and social justice to rectify your issues. Bible gives you the answer. You're above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. Wherever you go, God will bless you because you're a nation within a nation. God's favor is upon you. If God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. You're more than an overcomer. Your victory is in Christ Jesus alone. Alone. <laughs> All right, I've had enough. Y'all sit down. Let me read my letter. Let me read my letter and then y'all can go home. I wrote this letter to you, dear church. And by the way, you can get this letter online. It's, it's free for you after, after service. Dear church, I've been thinking a lot about you lately and praying for you earnestly as we navigate the future together. I know this past year has been difficult for many of you, but I really believe that going through challenging times, I believe this, only serves to make us stronger and better prepared for anything that lies ahead. One of my greatest concerns for you is that you would not be deceived by the spirit of this world. The more I read the Bible, the more I see a recurring theme throughout the New Testament where every writer seems to have the same concern for the church. When the Apostle Paul writes his letters to the churches, he seems very convinced that this will be the Christian's greatest challenge in the coming days. The Apostle Peter seems almost obsessed with this subject as he writes over and over again about false prophets and their goal to deceive. If possible, even the very elect of Christ. And then we see Jesus speaking about what it will be like right before he comes back. And he also seems to emphasize that the number one way people will fall away is through deception. Just remember that deception can come in many packages. Now check this out, listen to this. Even from people you like and trust. That's why it will be so important to know what the Bible says to keep you anchored. Don't be someone who feeds on conspiracy theories or is constantly following self-proclaimed prophets when the words they've spoken in the past have not come to pass. Make sure that whatever you listen to is backed up by scripture 
instead of just an impression someone says they have. As a pastor and spiritual father who loves you, I wanna encourage you to hold fast to the truth of God's word, even as it becomes more unpopular in the days ahead. Keep yourself rooted and grounded in love, especially when it comes to interacting with people who hold different views than your own. Always do your best to operate with a heart of reconciliation, reconciling people to God as well as people to each other. As Jesus said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you. God is counting on you to be the catalyst that changes the world. Just remember that from the moment you came into the earth, you were created to make a difference. I'm gonna say that again. From the moment you came into the earth, you were created by God to make a difference. Don't ever buy into the lie that you're a victim. You are always created to live as an overcomer regardless of what life throws at you. Never let your race, your economic condition, your education, or even your past failures limit what God wants to do through you. God believes in you, and so do I. When you wake up each day, remind yourself that if God is for you, who can be against you? Every day is an opportunity to let your light shine in a dark world. Constantly keep a heart of thankfulness and generosity and ask God each day, what do you want me to who do you want me to add value to today? As I close, I wanna remind you what the Apostle Peter said to everyone who's part of the church in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. With all the love I have to give, your friend and pastor, Dennis Rouse. That's you.